Hey everyone, thank you so much for letting us into your space today. We wanna let you know that we have a lot going on um, here at Christ Community, so we encourage you to check out our website at cccgreeley.org. Go to the coming up page and you can see everything coming up. Yeah, coming up. <laughs> I love it. Also, we want to encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, when we have new messages coming out, you know about them. Uh, we also encourage you, if you are listening on the podcast, please subscribe to that. And that way, you know when we have new podcasts dropping. We hope you enjoy the message. My name is uh, Pastor Howard. I'm the Traditions Pastor. And so I want to bring you greetings from the Traditions Group, meeting in the fireside room right now, but uh, also grateful for the opportunity to be with you this morning. And uh, it's uh, New Year's Eve, 2023, out with the old. So here I am. <laughs> New Year's Eve is traditionally a time for uh, resolutions. How many of you made resolutions last year? How many of you made resolutions? Not a resolution in the room. All right. Well, uh, it's estimated, by the way, that 70% of New Year's resolutions are broken in the first week of January. New Year's resolutions, here were mine for 2023. You ready? I resolved to not have a wardrobe malfunction. I resolved to not win the lottery. And I resolved to accumulate more Chick-fil-A rewards points than Pastor Allen. <laughs> now, I was successful across the board. The first two because I had very little opportunity to encounter those circumstances, and the last one because I already knew I had an edge, and I still do. If you see Pastor Allen, you need to tell him to step up his game on the Chick-fil-A rewards points. But uh, other years, other resolutions, more realistic resolutions, I have not been nearly as successful. Ben Franklin said this, how few there are who have courage enough to own their own faults or resolution enough to mend them. My wife and I, Laura, came to, back to Colorado in 2021. When I came back to Colorado, I weighed 180 pounds. Today, as I stand before you, I weigh about 195 pounds. I haven't actually weighed myself this last week because I've been eating like a fool. Um, when we lived in Kansas, which was where we were before we moved here, we had embarked on this journey together. I weighed 235 pounds. I got myself down to 180. But since we've been back in Colorado, I've gained about 15 pounds. I blame it on northern Colorado and all those wonderful eating places that you can go to. I mean, really, Mary's Mountain Cookies, Estes Park, You Need Pie, I Do, and we did this last week, <laughs> Lucky Finn's, Fusco's Pizza, Culver's, and of course, Chick-fil-A. Just a general, preach it, brother. Just a general reminder of uh, the, the, this, this, this thing that I fall into that I call HRS, Hyperactive Restaurant Syndrome. Resolution, not enough. Resolutions are not enough because they're primarily a human-based solution to the issues we face. At their very, very best, resolutions are measures of intent. And we realize, don't we, that even the best human effort is, from time to time, or for me at least, on a regular basis, gonna fall short. So what's better than resolution? 
What's better than resolution is a revolution of reliance on Jesus, on the power of God, of leaning into the Holy Spirit to have him work with us and in us as God works to conform us to the image of Christ, which is the way the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. So I really believe, as we embark upon the year 2024, that you and I need a revolution of reliance on Jesus as we face life. So I'm going to ask you to follow along with me, Romans chapter 7, verse 14, in your Bibles, on the Bible app, if you have that in front of you, perhaps the words will be up on the screen, there they are. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to Paul. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now we need to be complete, I need to be completely frank with, here, with you for a couple of minutes because there is some ongoing conversation in Bible scholarship circles about this passage and about whether the Apostle Paul here is talking about solely, exclusively talking about his experience before he came to know Christ or if he's sharing with us in a transparent way the stumbles that he feels and faces along the way even though he is in Christ Jesus. A lot of scholars Bible scholars, many of whom I deeply respect and some of whom I've sat with along the way, think that Paul is using what's called uh, a dramatic present tense to talk again exclusively about his pre-Christian experience. But I beg to differ. I think context is really key here. And in the context of this passage, there's a very simple shift in the original language from the past tense to the present tense. And I think this passage is clear personal testimony to the struggle that I know I deal with and I suspect we all deal with. Because frankly, there are too many other places in the scripture where, the Paul, where Paul talks about this ongoing journey of sanctification, the fact that he, he hasn't gotten there yet, this process of more deeply reflecting the person and image of Jesus, and he knows he's not there yet. One of those passages, one of the clearest passages is in the book of Philippians chapter 3, Verses 12 through 14. Paul says this, 
Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think this passage and others in the scriptures lead me to clearly get that Paul here is doing what I love that he does in a transparent manner when he shifts to the present tense and he says, I blow it on a regular basis. And I love that Paul does this. He, uh, this is the original missions guy, right? This is the original uh, guy who wrote nearly a quarter of the New Testament. But this is the guy who, even after he became a believer in Jesus, stumbled relationally early in ministry. In the book of Acts, we, chapter 15, we hear about Paul and his earlier traveling buddy, Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas came to this place where they were having this debate about whether they were going to take the young guy, John Mark, with them on their next trip. And Barnabas says, yeah, we should give him another chance. And Paul says, no, he blew it, so I'm not taking him with me. And they split and they went their separate ways. I love that Paul, in this passage in Romans, has the, has the courage of transparency to say, you know what? You know what? I blow it on a regular basis. I blow it on a regular basis. And you know what? I blow it on a regular basis. So from this Romans passage, I think we can see that Paul has, and I think you and I have at least two things. The first thing that we have, I think, is good intentions. We have the desire to do the right thing. We even have resolution to do the right thing. It's peppered all over this passage in Romans 7, 14 through uh, chapter 8, verse 2. In 7, 15, he says, I want to do. In 7, 18, he says, I have the desire to do what is good. In 7, 21, he says, I want to do good. In 7.22, he says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Listen, most believers, most believers that I know, I know want to do the right thing, right? Even when we're caught up in the middle of doing the wrong thing, we want to do the right thing. In fact, in my view, this is a mark of genuine belief in Jesus, wanting to do the right thing and being in anguish when we're in the middle of doing the wrong thing. We want to do the right thing on our family relationships, in our personal endeavors, on the job, at school, with life and love and faith. We want to do the right thing. But believers, we also have a handicap. The sin nature that we act on. We want to do the right thing, but we often don't. And again, peppered all over this passage, Paul says, 7.15, what I hate, I do. 7.18, I cannot carry it out. 7.19, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. We don't do the right thing. And it tears us up. In 7.24, the apostle, the apostle Paul uses the word wretched to carry home this gut-turning experience of wanting to do the right thing, but even in the middle of wanting to do the right thing, we do the wrong thing. 
Why? Because of the presence of sin. In 723, the Apostle Paul talks about this as a war in progress. And we're under kind of a, you and I, we're under kind of a house arrest in that war. Because with our sinful nature that we take with us wherever we go, even if it's to go eat pie, we take it wherever we go, and we are slaves to the law of sin. Now, we all know this, and we just sang about it. Jesus has defeated sin and its consequence, death. But we are still in this age before the final realization of the victory that comes in Jesus. I had 21 years in the military, and because of those 21 years in the military, I became a big fan of and a reader of and a consumer of military history. And when you look back at military history, of course, there are some wars that are won and some wars that are lost. The war Jesus has waged is won, but sometimes it takes looking back to see kind of the decisive moment, and you have to be able to look back to see it. For example, in Europe, World War II, the decisive moment in World War II was D-Day, June 6, 1944. But it took another nearly a year in Europe of slogging through difficult battles and lots of struggles before the final victory. There's a parallel in the Christian life. At the crucifixion, Jesus paid paid the price for victory. At the resurrection, we saw the guarantee, God's guarantee of the victory. But it's not going to be until Jesus either calls us home or he comes back that we're going to finally realize that victory. Now, this analogy may upset some people in the room, and I'm sorry if it does, but sometimes I feel like in the Christian life, I'm still in middle school. I, I, I know I'm in a place where God has called me to a better things, but I keep regularly messing it up. I haven't quite matured enough to be where God has called me to be. And this, this habit this, this, excuse me, this handicap of sin becomes exacerbated by these things that boil down to what I think is just a habit of only self-reliance that results in kinds of difficulties along the way. Bad habits are sneaky little rascals. Back to the weight thing. Early on when we were in Kansas, Laura and I worked on this weight thing and we made a resolution to get healthy and exercise more and our initial efforts really paid off. That personal resolution helped. We stopped buying junk food. We only had what we called food Fridays as a reward. We walked more. I was walking six to seven miles a day. Then we started having a snack at night once a week. And then it was twice a week. And then it was three times a week. And we told ourselves, well, you know, we're counting these calories, but uh, so it's all going to be okay because portion control, we've got this thing nailed. But ultimately, ultimately, our personal resolve was not enough. And as an aside, this, I recently just stumbled across this thing called intermittent fasting. Have you heard about this? Where if you don't eat for like 10 or 12 hours a day, then it's just like the pathway towards losing weight. And so I mapped this all out. If I go between breakfast and lunch, that's three or four hours. And if I go between lunch and dinner, that's another three or four hours. And if I go between dinner and the snack, that's usually a couple of hours. And then, of course, I go to bed, and that's eight or nine hours or whatever. I've got the intermittent fasting thing nailed. (laughs) Not so much. So 
we see this thing about resolution, this simple idea of resolution, I think in all aspects of our lives, including the Christian life of discipleship. We resolve, we have good intentions, we set out to be diligent about prayer, right? Every year at the first of the year, there's a daily Bible reading plan that you can sign up for and you can plow your way through the Bible through the entire year. Bible reading, small group attendance, prayer. And we, we often do those things initially, but the simple truth is human resolve is not enough. And because human resolve is not enough, we have this tendency to fail. Paul says in Romans 7:19, for I do not do the good I want to do but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 721, although I want to do good, evil, right there with me. I know a lot of folks in the room are probably football fans. Me, not so much. To me, the uh, Super Bowl is just a day that reminds me that baseball season is imminent because usually the day after the Super Bowl, pitchers and catchers report to spring training. Preach it. And because I'm a baseball guy, more specifically a Red Sox baseball guy, (laughs) I think there's a team in Colorado. Is there a team in Colorado? No. In 2022, David Ortiz, we know him by his nickname Big Poppy, was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. During his career, he hit 541 home runs. He is 17th on the list of all-time home run hitters. But here's an interesting thing about a guy as gifted as David Ortiz. His lifetime batting average was .286. You know what that means? that he successfully got on base less than three out of 10 times he was at bat, batting average. Well, I don't know about you, but my batting average across many areas of life isn't even that good. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Not just a resolution to do better, but listen to me, an absolute revolution of reliance on Jesus Christ. Mere resolution, I think, mere resolution just reduces Christianity to some kind of self-help program. We need a revolution of reliance on Jesus. Beatles, the Beatles, perhaps the most influential rock group of all time. And I'm not dating myself here because they get new listeners all the time. In fact, in May of this year, they went over one billion Spotify downloads. One billion Spotify downloads. But they had a song called Revolution. Here's the first line of that song. You say you want a revolution? Well, you know we all want to change the world. The trouble is, we can't on our own. Because we need a rescue operation. In 724, the Apostle Paul says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? And listen, not just an eternal destiny rescue operation, as essential as that is, as key as that is, but a day-to-day living life for Jesus rescue operation. And this absolutely has to be a divine rescue operation. Again, military guy, Sometimes we set out on what we hope are going to be rescue operations. 
because an aircraft has gone down or because troops are caught in harm's way somewhere. We set off on these rescue operations, but they end up being not rescue operations, but recovery operations. Because in our human capacity, we have limited capability. But, but, unlike failed human rescue attempts, in 7:24 and 25, Paul says, who will rescue me? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Say it with me. Who will rescue me? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I know it's early on a Sunday morning, but that was pathetic. <laughs> so we're going to try that one more time. Say it with me. Who will rescue me? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Absolutely. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Save completely. Here is not just the beginning of our relationship with Jesus. When we come to faith in Christ, we, we call that being saved. And that at moment in time, our, our, our presence with God in eternity is, eternity is guaranteed. But this saving is a lifelong endeavor as we lean into Jesus, the ongoing realization of his power at work in our lives. In Philippians chapter one, verse six, Paul said this, being confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus himself sums all this up in John chapter 15, verse five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Now say that with me. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So given all of that, all of that, what is the outcome of a revolutionary reliance on Jesus? The first thing that Paul unpacks in the, in the Romans passages in, in chapter 8, verse 2, there's a growing sense of freedom from sin. Paul says that God's work through Christ on the cross has set us free from the law, and sin of, law of sin and death. Not that we're going to reach some kind of sinless perfection in this life, some place where we never make a mistake or never do anything wrong. We're never going to get there. By the way, if you meet someone who thinks they've arrived at some kind of state of perfection, you should take a poll of their kids or their spouse. We're not going to reach perfection here. But what Paul is saying is that we're going to gradually see more of Jesus in ourselves and others will see it too. Also, is one of those kind of God-given bonus things that he constantly throws our way, and sometimes I run past them so quickly I don't even see them, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, uh, we experience a lack of condemnation along the way. Paul says this, therefore there is now no condemnation. It gives us, at least it feels like it gives me some freedom to enjoy the journey, even if we stumble and bumble and tumble along the way. I did a white water rafting trip down the Zambezi River in Africa a couple of decades ago when I was there on a missions trip. And so before you go on these white water rafting trips down the Zambezi River, past the crocodiles and snakes swimming on top, before you do that, the guide gives you some coaching because what he wants to do is have everybody on the boat, on the raft, paddling at the same time in the same direction. 
And so the guide we had, uh, he stood in the back, and he had us do a little practice around this little pond area, and he would yell, stroke, stroke, stroke. I thought at first he was having a stroke, but no. He was trying to get us to paddle at the same time. Stroke, stroke, stroke. And man, I thought I had this thing nailed. And so we set off down this wild river, which was running fast because it had just come off the rainy season. And uh, we're doing this thing. And apparently along the way, they had a spot where they were taking a video of every raft that went by so you know you could buy it later as a souvenir. And so we're getting, we got back to the place at the end of the whitewater rafting experience, and they showed us the video. And there it was on the big screen. Everybody else was paddling at a different time than me. I mean, they all blew it. But there it was. So they're going stroke, and I'm going about a half second later, and it was hysterical. So I'm sitting there with my friend James, who was a missionary in Zambia, and James looks at the video and he says, man, you were terrible at that. And I said, yeah, but you know what? I had a great time. Because in the middle of stuff with Jesus, even when we blow it, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. And we can enjoy the ride. So, how do we see this? What does it look like? It looks like the visibility of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul unpacks the fruit of the Spirit, and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit is this multifaceted manifestation of the reality of revolutionary dependence on Jesus. It's multifaceted because it, it's a situational facing uh, evidence and expression of the power of God. It's God's very own precious shining diamond with brilliant and beautiful facets to face the different circumstances that we encounter along the way. Because when we're facing different circumstances, we need a different facet of the fruit to come to bear on it. Sometimes we need multiple ones at the same time. For example, forbearance, or you can read patience there. We came down uh, Big Thompson Canyon the other day because you know we needed pie. And I'm going along, we're going along the road, I'm driving, and we're going along the road, and I'm doing my best to comply with those signs on the side of the road. You know, the white ones with the black numbers on them. You've seen those signs, right? So I'm doing my best to comply, and there was a guy in front of me, and I'm trying to keep some distance, so you know, if there's breaking or you know, moose jump out or something, we have time to react. But pulling up behind me, a guy in a minivan, like he is riding my tail all the way down as far as we went, like right there. And of course, at first I was furious. I thought, I'll give him a brake test and see how he does. But then I thought better of that. And I just took a breath for a moment, and I allowed the Spirit of God to kind of breathe through me the need for in that moment, which was patience and forbearance. Interestingly enough, this guy found one of those places where the corners are a little wide. It's not actually a passing lane, but the corners are a little wider. And so he zipped around me, and he got stuck behind the guy in front of me. And he stayed that way all the way down Big Thompson Canyon. I wasn't gloating or anything much. Or kindness. 
Laura's allowed me to share that she's had some recent travails and some difficulties and some people questioning her ability or whatever. And, but it, exactly the right God-timed moment, somebody sent her a note, which was so encouraging. I read that note, and I, I'm shedding tears of gratitude as I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, God, only you could time this encouragement at exactly the perfect moment. If spiritual gifts are the superpowers, then I think the fruit of the Spirit is the respiratory system of the body of Christ. It's the sustaining breath of the Spirit of God for the health of us personally and in our families and in the church and as we connect with the community. But really, 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 really important to hear this. There are calls for human resolve and human effort all over the Bible. Just as an example of one phrase, the phrase, make every effort. Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says, make every effort to do what leads to peace. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle Peter says, make every effort to add goodness to faith and knowledge to goodness. So these are not mutually exclusive ideas. Resolution and a revolution of reliance on the Spirit of God. But we need to see, and I know I need to see absolutely, that resolution is the lesser. And reliance is the greater. And that resolution absolutely depends on reliance. And that we need, or at least I need, a revolution of reliance in 2024. So, <clears throat> just to note, you may, have, you, you may have yourself, you may know people who have accomplished great things in life through personal resolve. And I'm not diminishing any of that. But just imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, what could happen in our lives if our resolve to do well, that determination was anchored in the revolutionary power of reliance on Jesus? Just imagine. We were recently in Phoenix for a conference, and uh, one morning I was going to go have breakfast because, you know, the hotel, they wanted me to pay like $10 for a slice of bacon. So I thought, no, that's not a good idea. So I went out the door and around the corner to, you guessed it, Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> As I'm going around the corner, this white car drives by me. It's a white car, and I'm looking at this car. There's nobody in this car, and it's got uh, sensors all around it. And I thought at first, oh, okay, this is one of those cars Google uses to do the street view maps that you can pull up on your phone. And then I read on the side of the car, it had the word <clears throat> Waymo. Okay, so I went and got my Chick-fil-A breakfast. The next day, repeat, right? Not breakfast in the hotel, I'm going back to Chick-fil-A, I make the corner again, and here comes one of those Waymo cars. This time there's a person sitting it in it in the passenger seat. <clears throat> and this guy waves at me as he goes by, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's nobody driving that car. Turns out that Waymo, these self-driving transportation cars, are legally approved to be used on the streets of San Francisco, California, and Phoenix, Arizona. And I thought about this a lot. How many times have I said to God, okay, you've got this only to grab control back, or the appearance of control back. And I'm thinking about the Waymo car, right? 
even in the Waymo car, the guy's sitting in the passenger seat, but he's telling the car where to go. It's not Waymo, it's way me. But wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be better if we got in the car that said, way God, and let him determine not just the destination, but the pathway towards that destination. So as we move into 2024, it's okay to make resolutions. It's okay to intend to do well, but I think, I think we need to throw ourselves in the power of the living Lord Jesus Christ to access that power to carry those resolutions to completion. Now, sometimes I get to the end of a message like this and folks think, mm, I might buy into that, but how? How do I do that? And <clears throat> I think our house, at least my house, regularly put me right back at the place of personal effort. Now, I'm not kidding. There are, there are disciplines in the Christian life, regular aspects of the Christian life, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, service, that we should all be engaged in. And I want to encourage all those connections. But I also want to encourage this revolution of reliance on Jesus. As we were coming back, <clears throat> excuse me, to Colorado in 2021, we had been wanting to be here for a while. Our kids are here. We have connections here. And all the signs looked really, really good. It, it looked like God was just laying it all out along the way. And then we got here, and it felt like everything collapsed. The vocational stuff, the job stuff collapsed. The church connection thing never quite came together. And so I was on a regular basis saying, okay, Lord, what the what? What is going on here? But we, in that moment, leaned into the power of God. And we said, okay, Lord, you brought us here. We need to see what's happening. It'd be nice if you could let us know today, but we're willing to wait. And we had lots of days when we wondered what was going on. But we knew then that we needed to lean into the power of the Spirit of Jesus. And over time, not instantaneously, but over time, we saw those things that were derailing us begin to unfold in powerful ways, vocationally, relationally, church connection. In the moments of, the trouble, of trouble, we knew what we had to do. We had to lean into those things that we knew to be true. We had to lean into the power of the presence of the Spirit of God to watch that power unfold. We had to get into the way of God car and both let him set the destination and let him drive. And there's lots more to come on this as we all get the chance to more purposefully pursue the reliance and the power of the Spirit as we lean into that intimate journey with God that Pastor Allen's book is about. And yes, I have read ahead. And we'll connect with that starting later in January. But for now, on the cusp of 2024, can we not say, Lord, we're leaning into your power and your spirit. Pray with me. Father, <clears throat> too many times, too many times, we endeavor to do things exclusively in our own strength and power. And in the process of that, we stumble. But today, Lord, 
we'd like to take a step of reliance on the power of the Spirit of Jesus to move us through whatever is coming our way in 2024. If you're able and of a mind, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And open our arms in that expression of receptivity to the power of God. And just begin to ask God how he would move in your life. And there'll be prayer team members down front here if you want to come and have a moment of connection with somebody who can resonate with you in prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, it is your spirit and your power that we need. Lord Jesus, move in us. Help us to cast aside that personal resolution and move it in the direction of reliance on the Spirit of God. 2024, Lord, could be a rough and tumble year, and we absolutely need to hear from you and lean into you and not our own strength, power, and capability. Hey, friends, wherever you are at coming out of Howard's message. Um, we want you to know we're here for you, especially during this kind of transition into the new year mm-hmm. and everything. Um, if you want to talk with someone, pray with somebody, we are here to journey with you. You can head over to our website. We have a chat button there. You can also comment um, on our YouTube channel as well. We would love to just interact, have a conversation with you, pray with you. So we hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.